Hello, community. Welcome to the latest podcast, episode 99. Crazy, right? If you've been with us the whole time, thank you. And hopefully it's been worth listening to every three weeks. I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but the fact that we've been cranking these out for the last five years without missing one time really has nothing to do with me, uh, but everything to do with our small but mighty Philo team of Chelsea, Kristen, and Julia. They make it all happen. So thank you to them for getting us to 99 episodes. So with 99 episodes, that means 100th episode right around the corner, and we're going to mix things up a little bit. But not so much that we forget that the whole reason we do this podcast is to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. It's part of everything we do around here. So that's the Philo Conference, our book, I Love Jesus But I Hate Christmas, Philo Cohorts, and even our Summer Skills Cohort. And frankly, in my opinion, I think the Philo Cohorts are the best thing I've been a part of. You know, for so many of us, it's easy to feel alone at our church. You know, nobody really gets what we do. And the cohort's been a great place to feel seen and understood by others who are dealing with similar situations at their church, regardless of location or size or budget, any of that stuff. We're all kind of dealing with similar situations. And now for the summer, we're changing things up a little bit with our cohorts and we're focusing on a specific skill. We'll still be connecting with each other in a small group setting with other technical artists from churches all over the place. But while I'm excited for the skill part, I think the community part is the critical bit for all of our developments, you know, to walk alongside others who really understand what it's like to be in our shoes. There's still time to sign up for the second and third installments of the Summer Skills Cohort. We have July 11th with audio engineer Paul Erickson from Transformation Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And on August 8th, we'll be talking about lighting with Christina Pendleton. She's the worship producer at at the Grove Community Church in California. So you can go to philo.org slash coaching to sign up. Now, for those of you who have listened to our podcast along the way, you'll probably recognize the name of our next guest, but this is the first time we've had him on the podcast as an actual guest. He's been mentioned a few times by several of our past podcast guests, such as Alan Riggs and James Jaskowiak and Joanne Botten and probably several others. And we finally decided we should stop talking about him and we should talk to him. So our guest today is Arnez Bonsol, longtime Willow Creek Technical Director. And we sat down with him in person and had a great talk. So let's go. Arnez, welcome. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. When I started at Willow, you were already there. Yes. And we were on the same team led by Jill Gilley. Yes. So she was leading all the technical directors. And back in those days, there were a lot of us. And we used to meet in this one room in the B wing of Willow Creek in the basement, like in the lower level. Yes. And there was like an like an outdoor, <laughs> you know, you could, uh, there were windows to outside, but it was like in a, was in a well. like the, a, the area we called the, the prison yard. The prison yard, yeah. <laughs> so we're like, how come there aren't any free weights out here and like a basketball hoop? Anyway, it was very, it was very much enclosed, like, you know, you would send the prisoners out to, you know, get their outdoor yep. time. Anyway, so that was my, that was my first thought was the prison yard nice. room. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember any, like first memory or just? I, I don't remember a first memory. I mean, like there's your laugh. And I, that, that was one of the things that I knew that I was going to like you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, that's good. Because yeah. I could hear it from around the corner. It was like... <laughs> I'm going to like this guy. Yeah, nice. Yeah. It's funny. Yesterday, I was just talking to somebody about my laugh, and my parents used to think it was fake. So, yeah, I overcame that, the shame of it. I don't know. Nice. <laughs> so one of the reasons that we had you come on the podcast, or several, 
but we've had a couple here in a row that your name keeps coming up. Like you're just like Arnez, Arnez, Arnez. And just now we were talking about, we think you've been mentioned four times on the Follow Podcast, which is probably more than any other person. And so we're like, we ha- we should have Arnez. Instead of talking about Arnez, we should talk to Arnez. So that's why we asked you to come on this. And uh, yeah, I think we have some really cool stuff to talk about today. But why don't you tell people like what you're doing now and maybe kind of your story of how you ended up here. Great. So what I'm doing now, I'm the lead next-gen technical director for Willow Creek. I have two guys under me, um, and we take care of all of next-gen, which is high school, middle school, and Willow kids. So okay. JHM, HSM. Okay. And yeah, so how I got to there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I you started all the way back. <laughs> <Gosh>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At Willow Creek, that, that was 23 years ago. So I started... I was a payroll accountant before coming to Willow, okay. and I was volunteering in the young adults. And a couple of guys came over and said, "Hey, would you want to work at work here?" And uh-huh. I, I was like, "How could you ask me that? I can't. I mean, I have a corner office. I have I'm number six person in my organization. Yeah, can I start in like four weeks?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, like that was when the, they opened up the fire hose because I was a lighting guy, so I didn't okay. know anything else besides lighting. Mm-hmm. I knew how to set up a band mostly, but I started in Promised Land, and back then we did have bands. Oh, right. And I mean, so, back in those days, I mean, Promised Land was like full-blown yep. crazy town from a production standpoint. I mean, yeah. just like all the stuff. Bands, drama, basically musicals every yeah. Christmas. and <laughs> Right, yeah. But yeah, so like my first weeks starting was like the fire hose opened up and I had to learn audio and lighting and how to do video playback and stuff um, right away. And all I knew was volunteering lighting. <laughs> yeah. But then I, I worked alongside Kevin, Kevin Kester. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he taught me audio and he did, you know, I taught him what I knew about lighting and we made Promised Land work. Yeah. So then like that was 11 years of Promised Land working oh, wow. in the kids ministry. And let's see, we, we created content during that time that was wildly sold. And then after that, I moved up to Elevate. And that's where I think, well, in Promised Land, that's where I met like Alan Riggs. He was one of my guys there. Mm-hmm. Um, in Elevate, that's where I met James Jeskoviak. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. And and Delwin, of course. Sure. And then uh, a few years of Elevate, they they asked me to move up to Impact, okay. to the high school. Yeah. So my joke at that time was like, you know, it, it took me 20 years, but I finally made it to high school. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. So then after leading the production team for the high school group, then you're now in this, was this the next step? What yeah, you're doing now? Um, just lead. We had like, of course, like most churches, we had staff reductions and trying to figure out how to streamline how we were doing everything. Sure, yeah. So I have like a staff of two part-timers mm-hmm. and we take, and we're in charge of, six venues and so yeah yeah i mean even in the short amount of time we've been talking to think about my first memory which is there were like nine of us or 11 or there was like a ton of tds we had one for every venue it seemed like that might not be totally true but it seemed like pretty well we had a staff of 44 people at the time right yeah (laughs) to go from that to To now we have we have six (laughs) venues and there are three of us yeah uh, you know doing all six so to be at a place for this long and to go through so many not only transitions uh, like you know going from you know 
Willow Kids to or Promised Land to Elevate to Impact and now to what you're doing now. Like that's one kind of transition. But even just like 23 years of life at Willow, there's been, I don't know, I mean, can you count uh, the number of transitions? Yeah. No, yeah. Lots of transitions. Um, yeah, how has that been? Like how, how have you kept moving forward and, and feeling like this is still the place for me? And Some parts have been really hard. I really thought I was going to step away a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Especially when the seasons got really hard. And that that's pretty recent too. Yeah, uh, yeah wanting to step away. And I always came back to like, this is, this was definitely God's calling for me. Hmm. And sometimes I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. And in the early times I liked it. I was like, okay, God, like, what do you want me to do? And he would say, well, I, I want you to be there. And I'd be like, great. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And like in the hard times I said that, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to be there. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. But okay. I'm yeah. going to trust you and and at the moment it's great like i think he's blessed god's blessed us a lot and it's still blessing us sure yeah yeah i mean the hard times i think you know doing production work is not easy in the first place and then even uh, just before we started recording chelsea and you were talking about camp memories (laughs) and you know just like the ridiculous you know budget requests for you know like you have this little to pull off a summer camp or whatever you know it's like there's one part of that that's really fun to like how can we figure this out you know and but also it's like again like we're doing this again yeah i think just yeah working at a church in production is can be hard on a good day yes the camp thing actually reminds me my first memory and it's not it's an early memory mm-hmm. and it's because it's the worst grade i ever got being an asian <laughs> what <laughs> you gave me a review okay and one of the review one of the questions was how good are you at at solving problems and I, I was like, I'm awesome at sol- solving okay. problems. I'm going to give myself an A. Uh-huh. And you gave me a C. Okay. And and I was like, I was flabbergasted. Like, why did you give me a C? And in our conversation, you said, because you're too good at solving problems. You have no boundaries. Oh, and okay. Because because of your lack of boundaries, you're you're encouraging everyone's lack of preparedness, hmm. and your lack of boundaries is is really affecting you. And that changed my life. Oh, wow. <laughs> like boundaries came up and, you know, family became important. I mean, it was, but it became more important than what I had to do at wow. church. And so. Huh. Yeah, I was a little bit nervous what you were about to say. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, just like to be honest with the audience, I was your boss for a while. We had some good times. We had some hard times. Yeah, just like learning how to work together, learning yeah. like how we both fit into the organization. And yeah, so when you started that story, I'm like, ah, where is this going? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I would like agree with your first statement, like give Arnez a problem and you're gonna solve it. You had a saying, and maybe you still do, back when we were working together that like you had the coolest production stuff happening was in your room, you know, like, best team, best ideas, best execution. And, you know, best program. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it was, you know, on some level it was simpler and, you know, it's like a, just a different vibe. And so you could take risks, you could do some fun things. I mean, I, this is maybe before you were the TD and Elevate, I filled in, like there were a couple of weeks where the person who was the TD left and we had like a, like this gaping hole. I'm like, guess what I'm doing this weekend. 
and I, uh, I was the TD one weekend that we, we ended up watching clips from a movie was the entire message from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. And we had a game where like, hey, we're going to have a kid ride around the stage on a bike and we're going to have a volunteer come up and throw raw meat at them, which is, if you're familiar with the movie. Yep. Yeah. I like, oh, okay, we could do this. Uh, maybe like we need crazy things. Maybe do. we need to like not have the meat be raw. That feels like kind of a lawsuit waiting to happen. But we, yeah, it was the messiest game I've ever been a part of. They still do messy games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think I would love to talk about this idea of boundaries for you. Like, I think it can be real easy doing ministry to kind of get sucked into all that needs to get done and especially, you know, in your role now, you know, there's like less people, maybe there's less to do, but it feels like there's just as much to do, but more, more venues. Like how have you seen kind of your family boundaries change over time or how have you been able to kind of hang on to them in the midst of kind of all the changes? Hmm, that's a good question. Not going to say it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's still a struggle at times. And, and really it's, it's a heart check and and really just a, a check in with my wife every you know every few days every few weeks yeah. like almost constantly yeah just to see how we're doing and like and she, and she could tell like when I'm too invested or you know when something's bugging me mm -hmm. so yeah like just that that's an interesting way to check the the boundaries is just checking out with my family. Yeah, no, that's so great. Cause I think how many, 23 years you've been yes. working at Willow Creek and just thinking about our families are, my kids are a little bit older than yours, but we have a little bit of overlap, you mm -hmm. know, your oldest and my youngest. And so just how things change over time, like in 23 years, like that to say, like checking in with your spouse often, just because things are always changing, you know, there are busier seasons, there are seasons that, you know, the kids maybe need less and. Yeah, so I think the boundaries still maintained, even though my kid, like two of my kids have grown up and moved on and one of them still in production world, which is awesome. But I think like in terms of like now, I think I still need that time, mm -hmm. even though like I don't have it with my kids. I sure. still need that time for myself, for my own sanity and for, my my wife also right right so yeah yeah it's true for me I'm living in a way this in this current moment that I have like too much going on and not great boundaries and the thing that's hard for me is just like feeling like I'm worth having time for mm. you know for myself and so yeah I just appreciate that you oh, being able to like that's... you don't need kids to say I gotta go home because <laughs> I gotta be with the kids but like I gotta go home because I need a break from this. Yeah, that's my number one. I relate with that so much because that's my number one reason why I'm notoriously bad at taking vacations mm -hmm. is because I, I don't feel like I don't do anything. Like I'll stay at home yeah. and like take care of my pond and my garden. Yeah. And so, a lot of times there's a voice inside that says that's not worth staying away and not doing the church work for. Right. But it is because it's another way that I could feel close to God. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think too, just like not always kind of beating the same drum, you know, like work, 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 and you know, worrying about the problems there. And this is going back a long time, but I finished the basement in the house that I live in. And just, I can remember there were a couple of times where I was like, 
I'm so frustrated with this problem, you know, tiling the bathroom or something like that, where I was like, but wait a second, I've created this problem. It's nobody else's. Like nobody is, you know, asking me to solve their problem. Uh, this just, yeah, it was so refreshing change from like the work at the church where I felt like somebody else is creating the problem that I have to solve. <laughs> so one of the things you were talking about bad at taking vacation. So you were telling me right now you're in the middle of kind of a three week stretch of like not working. Yes. Based on your anniversary, you know, yes. you've worked long enough that they're, they're giving you some paid time off. Right. How's that been going? Actually, it's been really good. I joked with a bunch of the guys like, okay, I'm done. I need to come back in. And <laughs> yeah. it was all like totally, totally in, in good gesture. Uh-huh. And I, this is a, actually a good sign of where we are as a staff. In the past, I, I feel like whenever I've, this is a boundary issue too. Yeah. Like when I've taken time off, I felt like you needed to be there. Things would happen and then you'd hear about it when you got back. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and this time, like people were like praying for me. Uh, hey, you're gonna take your your time off. Hey, can we pray and like, and hoping you know, wishing that I would do well and stuff, and like, you know, and joking, ha ha, come back, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it speaks to the health of the church mm-hmm. when we can set boundaries that allow people to take time off. Yeah, yeah, and feel good about it, and I mean, feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like I, I have complete confidence in my guys that they'll be able to handle everything. Yeah, in in Jill, that she'll be able to handle everything. Yeah. And yeah, and we still, the, the funny thing is, is they're also all my friends. So it's not uh, like yeah. I'm still like texting them. Right, right. Even though we're not working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I've been serving at Willow Huntley on the production team. Awesome. And, you know, the weeks that James isn't there, you know, things happen. And, you know, things that maybe are in James' head that, you know, he hasn't communicated to someone else or, you know, usually he'll just jump in and fix whatever the problem is. And so, you know, it's been interesting to like kind of struggle for a little bit through something that, okay, this is unplanned and how do we solve this without James? And Mm. okay, maybe it's taking us a few extra minutes. We're feeling the pressure of, you know, like everybody's staring at us to solve, (laughs) you know, hurry up and solve the problem. But I think there's something about, just as a volunteer on the team, I feel so much better after that moment that, okay, I dealt with a little bit of pressure. I learned something new. I now can step in, even when James is here, mm. to help solve those problems. And even the example I'm thinking of was a graphics-related thing. And so even the graphics volunteer, mm. like we sat there and figured out how to do whatever, whatever it was, instead of James just like reaching over and you know solving it. Mm. And so I think there's something really, I was going to say useful and beneficial, but it's I'm going to change it to essential. I think there's something essential about creating space every now and then when you're not there so that people can learn how to increase and, you know, become better, know more that because we're, we're solving problems. We don't even know that, you know, when we're there, we're just solving the problems and we don't really know to write them down or whatever. Mm. And so that's just a great chance for people to learn. I think though, as I'm saying this out loud in the season that we worked together at Willow Creek, it was definitely, that feels like a very developmental mindset, which maybe didn't exist always there. You know, like the the pressure for it to be as perfect as possible yes. was the thing that felt more important than the other. Yeah, actually you're saying that reminds me of like a complete segue of how I train the young ones 
mm-hmm. is to train them as if I wasn't there. Mm. And so when I get new volunteers, you know, you don't want to overwhelm them, but you do want to have them succeed if you weren't there. Right, right. So I, I think that's always been in my in the back of my head. Like, yeah. how do I train them just in case I'm not here? Sure, yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about that. So in all the ways that your name has come up on the podcast, it's all about developing people and the your ability to create something that that people want to be a part of and. I guess I would maybe start with like, where are you finding these volunteers? Are they just like knocking the door down or are you being intentionally going after them or are they friends of people that are on the team? Like, So for the most part, it's friends and I'm going to share my biggest secret. I don't recruit the volunteers. Okay. I let the volunteers recruit the volunteers. Okay. And it's not to say that like I won't like in a conversation with somebody like and say like, hey, you should you should volunteer here. I'll do that if the the chance arises. Sure. But like for example, my my best recruiter that I I go back to a lot, his name was Patrick, and when he came to me as a sixth grader, we let him do it, and he was blown away huh. that he could do things. And so at that point, I like like there was other kids coming, you know, wanting to check out production, and I was having a hit or miss like trying to recruit them, and I realized it was because I sounded like a parent saying this is, (laughs) you should be doing this because this, this, and this. Right. But when I let Patrick talk to them, like he would say, look at what we get to do. Yeah. (laughs) And that excitement was infectious. Okay. And so I let the kids like recruit other kids. Mm -hmm. And that's how how it's been. Even friends with friends, you know, because then they they come back like, look, I get to mix this band. (laughs) And I think that that's the best way to get lifelong people Right. Because like, like we get to do something instead of you're being asked to do something. Sure, yeah. Just thinking about a sixth grader serving on your team, like attention span and yes. the, like all the things that come with a young person, the the level at which, you know, our expectations for like what, what the product will be or, mm. you know, what we're asking people to do. How have you kind of, you know, eased kids into that or... Like, are there always a couple of adults that are on the team that are kind of helping show the way? Or? Right. That's a great question. And I guess this works out for a lot of production. So, like I, I say, we get most kids that we get, we start out in video because okay. it's the easiest thing to do. Put them on a camera. We or put something. them on a camera. And the thing that I'm battling is not so much their skill set, but their anxiety. Oh, interesting. So, when, when we did IMAG, which we we do we do it for the stream though okay the kids like i lost a couple that were really gung-ho wanted to serve got on a camera and realized that their work was being put live on the screen in real time yeah okay and anxiety like drove them away they they couldn't do it oh interesting so i had to ease them into that first by just inviting them to observe putting on a comm Mm -hmm. and like they hear how we chat to each other how we talk and how calm we are Mm -hmm. And even when we're, when something's going wrong, how calm we are. Yeah. So that helps lessen anxiety for a new kid. And then, then, like I, I say, the first thing I say when they're getting on a camera, this is how you work it. If you do anything wrong, it's not your fault. It's the directors because they're supposed <laughs> yeah. to be, they're supposed to be leading you, uh-huh. <laughs> which is a joke with our directors because they, I gave them by this time the same spiel. Right, right. It's your fault. If, yeah. <laughs> 
And so, like, <laughs> usually my directors tend to be older and, you know, by then have gotten, they're mature enough to lead a team uh-huh. or they're adults. And yes, they take that leadership in stride then uh-huh. and, like, know the stakes and know where they were when they became a camera person and, like, also want to treat them the same way. Sure. So one of the things I would think learning something new and now that becomes normal and that now we're going to try something else and now that becomes normal. And so like the the excellence or the capacity of the team, you know, keeps creeping up and there's a little bit of, I don't know if pride is the right word or the goal is to like always be improving the end product. Knowing like if you if you have students, you know, primarily on your team, they're going to eventually graduate and then move on. Yes. And so you're the, like, there's this constant rotation of people that, you know, there's a, it feels like you probably, the capacity and all that changes, you know, just like fluctuates as kids come and go. And so I guess maybe the question for me is like to transfer your drive or ambition to like make things better, better, better to how can we develop these kids to do their best and then that that's the goal instead of, you know, we're going to, you know, have huge light show and move, you know, haze mm. and, you know, all the the bells and whistles going on. I know that is a struggle every year when I lose a senior. Sometimes not a struggle because then some like the community so much that they make their life choices based on that, uh-huh. like <laughs> go to a community college or whatever so that they can serve a little bit longer. Uh-huh. That, that makes me feel a lot better. But it is hard every year when we, when someone graduates. And I think the, the way I approach it is we just have a conversation, you know, towards the time when they're gonna go away to college or, or move on. Mm-hmm. And I just encourage them to just keep serving wherever it is they are, because mm. uh, we're still one kingdom. Yeah. And even now in our present model with Willow Creek, I'll, I'll say the same to my guys now. Mm-hmm. Hey, if any of the other campuses like wanna take you, like, feel free. Mm. And that's come up during camps because, you know, camps are an all campus thing. So like they'll meet the other leaders and they'll meet the other worship leaders. Hey, you live by us. So why don't you? Yeah. You should serve at our campus. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because then they'll, the staff person will usually contact me afterwards. Like, Hey, so-and-so contacted me about serving and I didn't want to take from your plate. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm like, well, you know what? We already had this conversation and I, my guys all Mm. know that like I encourage them, you know, cause they might have even bigger opportunities where you're only doing student ministries here. Like you could be doing the main room in another right. campus. Yeah, yeah. So. And I would think too, just in the years that you've been doing ministry and the years that we work together, like one of the, the nice developmental things that go on at Willow Creek is you have, uh, you know, like nine venues simultaneously doing production stuff on a weekend or some number like that, if you include the weekend service and the Spanish speaking service and all this stuff that there are lots of opportunities for people to learn, uh, you know, at a like kind of low risk environment production wise, and then to move into a little more intense situation and to be able to be moving up through the ranks to where they're doing lights in the main room or video directing or whatever. Like how has that, you know, just that letting go, you sort of mentioned it, you know, when when a senior graduates, you know, to like release them in a way. I mean, is that even within the South Barrington campus, (laughs) it feels like there's always somebody kind of getting pulled out of Arnez's world into, you know, some other, you know, opportunity. So the hard part with that, this is why I'm laughing. It's that God tells me that it's okay. 
and I really need to believe him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I think it's kind of a challenge from him to say, like, okay, there's a there's a chance you might lose all these volunteers, mm. and you have to trust me that I'm going to provide more. Mm. And that's really hard, but it's really really awesome when it works out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think, well, just like sitting here hearing you say that. I mean, within three seconds, I can come up with 10 names, I feel like, of people that have come, you know, started as sixth graders with you and yeah. have moved their way up and are now leading the production team at campuses or doing production work professionally or, you know, just all kinds of great examples of people that have moved on from, you know, the beginnings of being with you. And to think about if you had held on tighter to them, that maybe those people wouldn't be doing what they're doing today. Mm. Hmm. But I don't know how I would do it. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, just like investing that much time in, in someone and then just oh. knowing that they're going to. Well, I mean, we're still friends. It's not like, yeah. Yeah. Always check in. And that's, that's actually really endearing when people check in when they come back into the area. I have a great deal of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. because I was not, trained in production. I learned everything on the job. Yeah, yeah. Specifically at Willow. When they come back and check in and seeing where a lot of them have gone, that helps dispel the imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the legacy of like guys that are currently on staff, guys that have made their own production companies. Mm. Like that that really helps with Yeah, yeah. with that. The thing that I feel like is so unique in your situation is the community side or the, you know, that it's like we're doing fun, cool things, but we're doing together and we're having fun together. We're like, this is a place for you to belong. Yeah. Like feel like those are the things that I think about and frankly are the most important parts of what we do. And I, I think I've just really admired your ability to hang on to that as the kind of the primary thing instead of like always trying to do bigger, better, you know, from yeah. a production standpoint. Well, I mean, that's one of the sayings that you hear a lot. People first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People aren't projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like I think that I've been doing organically. And then after realizing that that's what I was doing, <laughs> I've been more intentional about it. Uh -huh. Yeah. One of the things that I always loved watching too was there was probably something a little more like life practical that was going on, but like your kids were with you a ton. Yep. And so serving with you, you know, on the production team, doing stuff. And none of my kids ever were <laughs> serving with me. You know, I was in a different situation, but I don't know even if I was in your spot, if I would have said, all right, kids, come on, we're going to make this happen. Hmm. I just really appreciated you having the patience to like include your kids and bring them along, you know. And again, I'm sure there was some practical life, you know, your wife's working and so they have to be with you, you know, from time um, to time, but. No, not really. Okay. I, I think, well, with my, my eldest, like he didn't go into the production world, but he, like when he, when he was like six, he asked the question, what do you do, daddy, uh, for yeah, a job? Yeah. And I gave him a really basic answer. Uh -huh. It was like, I get to tell people about Jesus. Uh-huh. And I think that that spurred in him like an interest in how, because like obviously I'm not mm -hmm. a I'm not a public speaker, right? So like, how is he telling? And when he realized that there was other ways to tell people about Jesus that didn't involve standing on a pulpit, 
like he really bought into that. And so uh-huh. he did like hanging out with me and and learning lights and other production things. Mm-hmm. And and Noe, I think, was the same way. She's a lot more extroverted. She's the most extroverted person in our family, but she really became a part of like the community aspect of our teams right. when she became a video director and, okay. and leading her teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that I thought of as you were talking. On one hand, there's like all these people we could name that are doing production work that came through working with you, which I think is great. But I think there are people that aren't doing production work that were affected in similar and as profound ways by being on your team. Mm -hmm. Then the thing that is even more important, you know, people are first just like making better humans, like even for your son who's not doing production work, but to know that there are other ways to tell people about Jesus than being a preacher or mm. or whatever, that, you know, in life I can do that. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a thing that we all perceive is the only way. I think about some of the James and, and, and uh, Alan who have been on the podcast, like just great people. And they happen to do production and they happen yeah. to start, you know, with serving with you. So... We should probably have like a reunion sometime. I wonder how that would work. You know, just like all the all the people that maybe when you're like 80, like a bunch of people will get together. You know, this is your life. You remember? You recognize this voice? <laughs> It'll be you know um, Bray. Bray, there it is. That was the, what I was thinking of. All I could think of was Singleton. I'm like, that's yes. not his first name. Yeah, I uh, actually yeah. recently contacted him. He's on the Frozen tour, and I asked him to like record a video for the Willow Friends. Oh, nice. With the cast and crew saying, hey, you know, have a good opening. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's and he's been doing, like, he's a stage manager, yeah, for Broadway shows. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, I can't, I don't have anybody that's served with me that's uh, a stage manager on Broadway, so. (laughs) When you think about all your years of doing this and the community that you've built over time, like, is there anything that overall you would say is foundational to kind of how you lead your teams? I've thought of that a little bit. And I think one of the answers is, is in how I communicate overcome to my Mm, team. Okay. Encouragement is like the number one thing. Mm. Grace is right up there Mm. because you'll, with the young ones, they'll, they will make mistakes, you know? Right. And some, and I tell them, this is one of the things that we teach is like, if you make a mistake, don't immediately back up and try to fix it. (laughs) Like if you, (laughs) if you advance too quickly on a slide, don't back up. It's going to be more noticeable. If you took a shot too early, don't immediately switch back. Right. You know, and there is grace with that. And like, and we celebrate the mistakes afterwards, especially because like sometimes it was better than what we had planned. Hmm. <laughs> and here's, here's one example. We were doing high school and we were doing a song after the message and it was supposed to just be center screen graphic, no iMag mm-hmm. with a motion background so that we could focus on the song. There was a clear all, which cleared the gra- which cleared the graphic in there. Okay, <laughs> our camera people weren't prepared because we were supposed to be in you know full CG. Yeah, and so they were blurry and on the band. And when the clear all came and the song started, there was lyrics on a blurry band. Yeah, and everyone froze. And I went on immediately on com like, keep it. Yeah, <laughs> and the director jumped on, and said, "Okay, everyone else, get blurry shots of the band." And then I got a message from our worship leader, <laughs> who was leading, 
this is amazing. <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to tell him it was a mistake. <laughs> but all that to say, like, sometimes God has a plan for how it's supposed to happen, and we just need to get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's part of how we're wired up, and I think it's so important to be, like, paying attention to details and, you know, transitions and all the things that production people care so much about. But I think it's also easy to get blinded by it or mm. distracted by like there are other things going on here that are more important maybe than whether it was a full screen graphic or a blurry shot, you know. Right. And I mean, I just love that you're setting a standard for your teams to be like, this is OK. It's like stuff happens and we just need to keep moving forward. And and, you know, God's still using the the service regardless of that shot t being taken early or, yep. you know, or whatever is going on. And I think, too, I just from my perspective and thinking about the team that I was working with, you know, during in the main services at Willow back in the day, like here are top professional people that are like best at what they do, you know, lighting, audio, all these things. And these people are making mistakes there's no way to avoid it. And so to learn how to deal with it early, you know, to learn how to think about, mm. okay, well, can we learn from this instead of beating yourself up or yeah. being scared to make a mistake? Like I can remember thinking this when I first got to Willow. Like it felt like so many people doing their best work out of fear of not doing their best work. Like that's that was the motivation. Like I don't want to screw this up, so I'm going to work really hard. I'm just like, who works who does their best work under those conditions? I mean, you could do good stuff, but like just instead of like, I'm going to do my best because I want to try and do my best mm -hmm. and bad things might happen, but it won't be because I'm not trying, you know? Yep. And yeah, I just love the to start students and, you know, to have that be the culture of your team, to learn that early. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just such a great life lesson too. Yeah. And I, I can't take all the credit for that. I mean, that that has to come from my directors and producers and worship guys like like Delwyn, who started things like that. Like, hey, it's all we're all one team, and mm -hmm. grace happens. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah but I think even you know, thinking of the years that you were working in Promised Land and and even before Delwyn, you know, it's like to still be leading a team where relationship and the human side of what we're doing as kind of one of the most important things, I think, to, f to be a champion for that, for, mm. for your people, I think is really, yeah, something that we could all maybe do a little bit better. But I agree with you. Like having somebody who's leading the ministry buy into kind of, I think on the James episode of the podcast, I think I said something like leadership at the speed of relationship was yes. how I described you, which I think for like a type A driven kind of leader working I don't think Scott Rubin listens to this, so we'll just say <laughs> Scott Rubin. If you know Scott Rubin, you could tell him we mentioned him in the podcast. But um, just like he's an intense guy. Yeah. And so to be able to, for you to have a team where it's like, hey, this is going to, like, we got kids. We're like, this is going to be, we're going to build a community here. And we're going to, and then we're going to do production too. And so yeah. that's not always perfection and exact. And, you know, but we're, we're creating a safe space for these kids to serve and serve their fellow students. And yep. for you to be able to, again, champion that for your people, I think it's so easy. And I felt it a lot when I first started working at Willow Creek. Like 
I don't know that my leadership style fits the leadership style that I see around me, you know, just oh. not good or bad, you know, just like driven type A. And I'm like, eh, that's not me. So to see that all around, knowing that who you are and how you're wired and how you then lead is more important than trying to be this other thing that you see around you. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I was thinking of the other way that people have told me I I lead differently and it's through the calm and how I talk to my team. Mm -hmm. In the past, it's been said as a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can totally see um, that. For type A. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, but it's the way I say, hey, can we get lights? Can we bring the band up? Mm -hmm. Can it's? I'm always inclusive, like we're one team instead yeah. of give me house lights. Yeah. Give me this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me that. Yeah. I embraced that instead of like yeah. changing the way I talked. So good, like, yeah. This is my community. I'm going to say we. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, hey, yeah. This is my team. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And even just like I wouldn't say that you're an intense individual in that type A kind of way and how that could be translated onto calm. Yeah, but to create a space where the words, yeah, are more encouraging than yes. destructive. Yeah, I just, I was thinking about, there was a guy that I used to, work with and he was running front of house and we we had like a uh, like a string quartet on stage and it was not something we normally did so it was <laughs> like it was out of the ordinary and so the, the the song starts and the front of house guys like just got his head down you know mixing and the <laughs> string quartet was off and so i just kind of leaned over from i was doing lighting at the time like string quartet you know just like sort of <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And then so he turned it up and, you know, he's doing that. And then I'm like, lead vocal. Like, the, you know, the, he forgot that too. And I vaguely remember this happening. But years later, he was talking to somebody. He shared that memory. Hmm. Like, this is how I remember Todd. And just he said, I appreciate it so much that he's not like screaming at me to like string quartet. And yeah. Vocal, what are you doing? <laughs> and how does somebody respond to, I would say most people know they're making a mistake, you know, they've made a mistake. Yes. You know, if, the, if the lights are late or, or whatever the thing is. And so, you know, jumping all over them, it's probably going to cause another problem, mm -hmm. you know, and long term, that person's not going to want to serve. And so. Yeah. And I, that's, I think that's the big clincher of when you when you have younger volunteers they already have a great deal of anxiety towards you know what they're doing so i i try to do everything in my power with regards of complex programs to try to ease their anxiety to encourage them mm -hmm. to like not jump on every little mistake that's always the conundrum is how do you correct them without creating you know like pain how do you correct them in a good way right right <laughs> yeah cuz i think to me there's so many wonderful learning moments to be had in mistakes. Yes. And it's so easy to like either not say anything and so we miss our opportunity because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever, you know, so let it go Ver or like overreact and yeah. in, in the moment versus this wasn't our best moment, let's talk about it and you know, what can we do differently next time? Yeah, I think it's just such a healthier way to do stuff. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I think we know the the title of this podcast will be Leadership at the Speed of Relationship. <laughs> so thanks for uh, yeah writing that uh, for us. So yeah, it's been good to, good to be with you. Thanks. One, two, three, 
I had a great time sitting with Arnez. I mean, I actually could not remember the last time we just talked. You know, not about production or some venue's capabilities or production-related stuff, but just about life and just how Arnez approaches things. And while talking with Arnez, it struck me that focusing on relationships while doing production work is how we should all be thinking about building our teams. I mean, to be honest, when Arnez brought up a performance review we had, I got a bit nervous. I was glad that the story ended well, but it also struck me how the words we say are remembered by others and the effect we can have on someone, for good or for bad. So yeah, it was great to be reminded of how important relationships are in not just building teams for the sake of building teams, but just for the sake of relationships. And I just really appreciate the speed at which Arnez leads his team. You know that, yeah, we're going to get something done production-wise, but we're going to be in relationship together as we do it. So thanks, Arnez, for joining us today. Now, don't forget, sign up for the Philo Summer Skills Cohort happening July and August. Hope to see you there. You can stay up to date on all things Philo by following us on social media at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. So, all right, until next time, see you at episode 100. Episode 100.